land. God gives him very little information to go on, but God promises to bless him. And we had the first speaking of God's promise in chapter 12 that God will give him a land of his own and numerous descendants, as we've been hearing about already this morning. And that is made particularly interesting by the fact that Abram was 75 when God said that to him. And his wife, Sarai, is about 10 years younger than that, and they are childless. They've never been able to have a child. So the idea of numerous descendants is quite a lot more striking than it would otherwise be. And we saw that our God is a God who can turn hopeless situations around. And then in the second half of chapter 12, we saw that this new land that they had arrived in was a a, a land of famine. There was severe famine. And so Abraham decides to take his whole household into Egypt because there's no famine there. Good reasons, but a bad decision. They get into a mess, but God provides a way out for them. He is a God who is faithful, who sticks with us even when we don't stick with him. And then in chapter 13, last week with Carol, we saw that there were family squabbles. And so Abram and his nephew Lot decide to go their separate ways. And Abram allows Lot to choose which direction he's going to go in. And Abram will go the opposite way. In chapter 14, which we're not looking at, Abram goes to war. Um, to go and rescue Lot and his household. Lot has been captured by some warring local enemy kings and tribal chiefs. Lot is captured. Abram goes to war to rescue him, and Abram is victorious. Today, we're going to look at chapter 15. There we go. I'm just going to read the first six verses of chapter 15. So let's read that now, if we can put that up on the screen. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Let's pray together. Open my lips, O God, that I may proclaim your praise. Open our hearts, O God, so that we can experience your living presence among us. Spirit of life, 
Come and so fill us now with your power and your presence that we cannot help but be changed by encountering you this morning. Come and fill us, we pray. Amen. So, I wonder how old you will be in 25 years' time. Let's take a moment to work that out. Assume you'll still be with us. How old will you be 25 years from today? Isn't it strange when you're waiting for someone to speak and they don't? (coughs) You're waiting for me to speak. Of course you are. I started to say something to you. I asked you to do something and you did it. And you were waiting for me to carry on and go on and say something else or do something else. Maybe to tell you why I asked you to do that thing. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? Waiting for someone to speak. It's really difficult for us when we're waiting for someone to say something, but there's just silence. Especially when they've given us the impression that there is more to come. And we wonder what they're waiting for. Why don't they just get on with it? You were all looking at me slightly puzzled and wondering why I wasn't carrying on and wondering if you should fill the silence a bit. Sometimes it feels like that with God. We're waiting expectantly for him to speak or to act, but he doesn't. Maybe things were going great and we were feeling him guiding us and speaking to us, just like Abraham did, but then it stops and we're left just waiting. Silence. Just left with what we thought we heard him say, except we can't hear him anymore. Left with what we thought he told us to do, or that he will do, but the longer the silence goes on, the more we start to wonder whether we could possibly have heard him right. It's so hard to keep on trusting in times like that, times of silence and waiting. And we struggle to hold our faith, to keep trusting, but it's hard. It's almost the hardest thing there is. And that silence and that waiting becomes unbearable. And this is where we find Abraham today. Verse 1. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abraham. So it's some time later than what happened in chapter 14 and and the other things that have happened earlier, but we don't know how much later, how far after. The Bible is quite unhelpful sometimes. It's quite vague. Some time later. We don't know if it's a few days later, a few weeks later, or if it's many years later. It's just later. 
And you know, sometimes when we read in the Bible that God spoke to Abraham, and we read the actual words that God said, and we wish that if only God would speak to me like that, if I had God literally speaking to me like that, it would definitely be easier to obey him and to do his will. But you know, chapter 12, where we started, chapter 12 tells us that Abraham was 75 when God first spoke to him and first made this promise. And chapter 21, which we haven't got to yet, tells us that Abraham was 100 when the promise was actually fulfilled. And even then, it's still only the first bit, the first part of fulfilling it. 25 years went by between God's first making of this promise and the fulfillment of even the first part of it. And in those 25 years, God spoke to Abraham just three more times. And they weren't, even, they weren't evenly spread across that time scale. The last two times in chapter 17 and chapter 18, they are both when Abram was 99. So they're both within a year of the promise being fulfilled. So we could say that after first making that promise, God spoke to Abram once in the next 24 years to reassure him that he hadn't forgotten. So let's imagine that God told you to do something and promised you something, and you did the thing that he asked, but you had to wait until you were the age that you worked out just now, in 25 years' time, before the thing he promised actually happened. That's a long time to wait and still believe it's going to happen. And for 24 of those years, God speaks to Abraham just once more. And that's this occasion here in chapter 15 that we've read today. And we're given no time scale to know when in those 24 years that this happened, whether it was near the beginning or near the end or somewhere in the middle. Some of the later events that we haven't got to yet would suggest that this was around the middle of that 24-year period, but this text doesn't actually tell us. All we can know is that whenever it was, there was an awful lot of waiting with not very much to go on. Long, long periods Years and years of having to believe what you thought you heard God say. And we follow Abraham's story through all sorts of adventures and God watches over him through all of those adventures. But the difficult truth is that through all of those adventures, Abraham and Sarah still are childless. That's the difficult truth of this story. And because we're just reading it in a book and we have the ability to compress the time scale, it's really easy for us to lose sight of actually how long this went on. Things don't happen fast 
in God's timescales. With every year that goes by, they are getting older and older. Their hair is turning white, their skin becomes more wrinkled, they're getting more and more of the stiffness and the aches and pains that come with getting older. And so here, we have God at some point in those long, weary 24 years, we don't know when, God popping up to Abraham and saying, do not be afraid, Abraham, for I will protect you and your reward will be very great. Now, I've got to be honest and say that that could really easily sound like a well-meaning person, a well-meaning spouse or friend, saying to their loved one who's facing a massive trauma or loss, never mind, dear, you've still got me. It's really interesting that what God says in that little bit, for the first time, provokes a response from Abraham. This isn't the first time that we've seen God speaking to Abraham, but this is the first time where we see that Abraham speaks back. He says something back. For the first time, there's a bit of a back and forth conversation here. So what is it here? that brings Abraham to talk back and respond to God. I think Abraham is right on the edge of the abyss here, maybe even already over the edge. He can't do this anymore. He can't do this ridiculous thing of keeping on believing that God's going to give him descendants and land when year after year goes by and nothing changes. And God speaking about how great his reward is going to be just brings it all to the surface. He can't hold this in any longer. God, he says, what good is it for you to give me the whole earth when I still have no son to inherit it? I don't want any more of your other blessings. I'm not interested in that. The one thing I really want is the thing you've promised to give me, but you haven't. I still don't have a son. And because you haven't given me any children, a servant in my household is my nominated heir. He'll inherit it all. There's nothing you can give me now, God, that will mean anything because I'm nearly at the end of my life, and when I die, I've got no children to inherit it. Your promise makes no sense. And God says, no, you will have a son of your own. And he takes him outside, and he shows him the stars. And he says, that's how numerous your descendants will be. So remember that a really important function of Abraham's story is to reveal to us what God is like. And clearly, God is not expecting Abraham to just peace, peacefully and piously accept everything without question. 
Abraham pushes back pretty hard at God here. And God apparently welcomes that because he gives him a sensible answer. I think God's opening words in this passage give us a clue as to how this conversation came about. He opens, he begins by telling Abraham, do not be afraid. God knows that Abraham is afraid. And it's not the kind of fight or flight, heart pumping, uh, adrenaline pumping response to an immediate threat. It's not that kind of fear. It is a heavy, slowly strangling hopelessness and despair that he has staked everything on a false belief. That he's wasted all these years hoping for something that's not going to happen. Abraham has concluded by now that this is not going to happen. Nothing has changed for so long that if it hasn't happened by now, it never will. And he must have been mistaken. That is the fear that God is addressing. And so when God says, do not fear, he's saying, do not lose hope. Don't give up. Hold on. There is more to come that you haven't seen yet. Abraham's part in this conversation, we could describe it as complaint. He doesn't hold back. He doesn't politely avoid the issue that is occupying all of his thoughts and is causing him so much anguish. He says it like it is. There's an elephant in this room and he's not going to tiptoe around it any longer. He is going to express what this feels like, how he's feeling and what he's thinking. And this kind of complaining expressing honestly to God how we're feeling and what we're struggling with rather than feeling that we have to hide it away and bury it somewhere. This kind of honest complaining to God is really quite important in the relationship that God wants to have with us. Because when we tell him honestly what the problem is. We are co-opting him into that problem and making him part of it. We're bringing him on board. Our problem becomes his problem because we've brought it to him and dumped it on his doorstep. If he hasn't given me enough to go on, I need to tell him that, that's okay. If I'm reaching the end of my endurance and I can't go on like this, I need to say that. If life hasn't turned out like I wanted, or if I'm angry and fed up that nothing ever seems to change, it's really important to say that to him. Because by making the effort to actually tell him what the problem is, 
and what it is that I'm finding so hard, I am giving voice to the belief that he hears and that he can and maybe he will respond. Doesn't even have to be a really strong belief, just a little bit of belief will do. A mustard seed of belief is enough that he hears and that he cares. That little bit of faith that is enacted every time we vocalize and put into words to him what we're struggling with, it has more power than we realize. And so if there is something today that really just feels like it's more than you can bear anymore, for goodness sake, tell God how it is. Tell him how you're feeling and what you're struggling with. Call out to him to help you. He will welcome that. You know, God is never shocked when we tell him the truth about how we feel. In some ways, actually, we're telling ourselves the truth and acknowledging a truth to ourselves. He will never turn a blind eye or a deaf ear to a cry for help. And it doesn't matter if it's the same thing that you've been bringing to him for 25 years. He's not bored of hearing about it. And the fact that it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean that it never will. You're not nagging. You're not being unreasonable. But you do need to open yourself to a new perspective on this thing. What Abraham really wants to ask are some really specific what and how and when questions. They are implied in what he says. What are you going to do to sort this out? How are you going to make this right? When are you going to do something? When will the answer come? I've been waiting for so long. Perfectly valid and reasonable human questions. You can ask those of God. But let's notice that God doesn't answer them. He doesn't tell Abraham the what and the how and the when. And he's not yet going to give him what he's asking for. But he does give him something. Abraham has been looking inside himself. His gaze has turned inwards. And the answers to our struggles never lie in here, within ourselves and our own resources. By looking inwards, by looking at his own body that is withered and aging, Abraham has narrowed down his vision to what he humanly can do and what is reasonably possible. And what God does 
in response to his complaint and his questions, what God does is to invite him to look up, to look outside of himself and into the vastness of the universe at the stars. And there's something beautiful here. God's response is to invite Abraham to lift his eyes, to shift his gaze from inward to outward and into the magnificence of what God has created. The same God who creates the vastness of space and stars without number, he can give to Abraham what he has promised. Because God is not limited by what are limitations for us. That's what God wants him to see. And just as when we look up into the night sky and we see the light of the stars, we are looking into time as well as space. So that greatness and power of God transcends time. The descendants without number that God is promising will stretch through time as well as space, even as far as us today, because we are part of God's promise as well. We are part of that fulfillment. And that's what Abraham saw, just got a glimpse of when he lifted his gaze to those night skies. We can be completely honest with God. And actually, it's really important that we are. Honest about how we feel and what we're struggling with. And we can ask our what and how questions. What are you going to do about this? How are you going to sort it out? When, Lord, when? But we need to understand that God won't answer those questions. But what he will do is he will offer us a change of perspective. The change that happens won't be in our immediate circumstances or our immediate problem. He won't suddenly step in and just sweep it all away. The change that happens is in here. That's where the most important change happens, always. Because if God changes my circumstances but doesn't change me, I've gained nothing that is of value. The relationship God wants to have with me is always about the changing of me, not my circumstances. You cannot force his hand, but you can ask him, to give you a new perspective, new insight that will help you. And in the end, that will have far more value. 
God asks Abraham to go on trusting him, to hold on, to hang in there and keep trusting him. And Abraham finds that he is able to do so. And that's because what he is trusting in is a person. We cannot trust in God unless we have some knowledge of who God is and what he is like. We need to know who we are trusting. Faith is not just trusting, it is trust in a particular person. It's not just our faith that matters, it is who our faith is in. The person that our faith is in. And we can't trust a person until we know something about them. And the more we know, the more we feel able to trust them. And the thing that God's heart yearns for is for us to know him, to know him more. He is the God who didn't stay far off, but came and revealed himself. And the reason for that is that God's heart yearns for relationship with the creatures that he has made and with the individual that is you. He doesn't want an arrangement where we are distant from him because he is so impossibly holy and we couldn't possibly get on his level. He comes down to our level. And throughout the whole of scripture, he is revealing himself little by little to our eyes and to our understanding. And it's not just in scripture. It's in our own experience as well. It's not enough to know about God by reading about him or hearing about him. That's good, but it's not enough. We have to know him personally by experiencing him for ourselves. And the experiences that will truly form us and truly form faith in us are the experiences where it's really tough and we are hanging on by our fingernails. But these are the times when we truly discover who our God is and that he is trustworthy. If you've been coming along to church and you sometimes wonder why these people do this, why and how they trust in this God and what that's all about, you need to know that they don't trust a concept or an idea. They trust a person. A person that we are learning to know. We trust ourselves to a person who we have come to know and who has shown himself to be trustworthy. Abraham is able to believe 
what God says, because Abraham has come to trust in the promise speaker. He trusts not a concept, but a person. As God reassures him, Abraham is able to rest back in the arms of the God who has made the promise. And that's such a powerful image for us, that resting back into God. Whatever happens to us, when a cancer diagnosis comes, when a redundancy notice comes, when we are bereaved, when the entire world shuts down because of a virus, when the foundations of our world are shaken, can we rest back in the arms of the God that we have come to know, knowing that he is good, knowing that he is for us, knowing that we can't control anything, but because he can, ultimately, we are safe. The trusting comes from the knowing. And actually, the knowing comes from the trusting. There is a cycle there, isn't there? By learning to trust, we come to know more intimately the person who we're trusting. And by coming to know more of the person, we find that trust grows from that. God invites you to know him more. He invites you into closer relationship with him. And he will let you choose whether that's what you want. Let's just take a few moments of quiet. Just let God speak to your heart from all of that. And then I will pray. Loving God, may our trust in you grow as we come to know you more. You long for us to know you more and we realize that we cannot trust you without knowing you, without coming to know you more. So will you show us more of yourself? to the heart that is here this morning that longs to know you more but just doesn't know how. I pray that you will reveal yourself. 
Gently show the way. Show us who you are. For those who are in this place where they're struggling and they've prayed but it seems like nothing is changing, I pray that you will open them up to a fresh insight, to a new perspective of you and of their situation, something that will give them the strength and the encouragement to keep going and to not lose hope. To know you, God, to live life in your company is always to venture into deeper waters. We cannot find you in the shallows where life is easy and risk is low. So lead us, we pray, into those deeper waters. Spirit, lead us where our trust is without borders, without boundaries, without limits, so that we can truly walk with you. stay seated for the first part of our final song just stay seated and sing this prayerfully and then I'll invite you to stand about halfway through Keep 
my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Spirit, lead me when my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you will call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. And my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. Spirit, lead me when my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. My faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Savior. If anything in our worship today has just made you feel that God is speaking to you, stirring something up in you, we'd love to pray with you. If you'd like someone to pray with you, uh, go to the prayer area at the back, the blue chairs there. If you'd like to just sit and pray quietly by yourself, there's our prayer room downstairs which is open for you. Just ask someone if you're not sure where that is, you are welcome to just go and sit quietly with God if you'd like to. And now may the peace of our Lord Christ go with you, wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into these our doors. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please take a seat.